Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hi again, folks, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is your host, John Russett. I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you doing today, Frank? It's a pretty good day, John. How about you? Well, it's uh, some days are better, some days are worse. This is not one of my absolute best, but uh, you know, circumstances may be awful, but I know that Jesus is awesome. So I'm trusting that, trusting that in a great way. Now, listeners, if you've just joined us, we're doing something a little different in this series of podcast episodes. Pastor Frank has a new book that's coming out very soon. It's called Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. And this is the fifth episode in a series as we discuss our way through this book. If you haven't joined us, go back and check those other episodes. But basically, We've been talking about our responses to pain, other responses to pain, the ubiquitous nature of pain, how we all struggle, how we all suffer. Then we ask perhaps the the most difficult question to ask, where is God in our pain? Why does he allow it? We had a great conversation then, Frank. We then shifted on to some of the ways we manage our pain, the lies we tell ourselves about God the lies we tell ourselves about ourselves, the lies we tell about our pain. Mm. And so we're going to pick it up today, my friend, by asking a somewhat different question. And that is, is there a purpose to our pain? Mm. And I want to begin by triggering your mind with this reference to 2 Corinthians 4. Paul Mm. says, We who live are constantly delivered, not occasionally, but constantly delivered over to death so that Mm -hmm. the life of Jesus may be manifested in this. So I want to begin today there, Frank. What's Paul saying? It sounds pretty grim. Uh, John, you know, this has become my favorite passage in all the scripture, you know, when I first got out of seminary, people would say, Pastor Frank, what's your favorite verse? And I would say, John 17, 17, sanctify them in that truth. Thy word is truth. And I'm going to teach and people are going to hear and lives are going to be transformed. And that sprang really from seminary, from the lecture. But then you get out in the lab of a fallen world and you find that there's a lot more to this thing than teaching. There's an enemy. There's a fallen world. There's flesh. There's this crazy entity called sin. There are people that can do horrible things to other people. And then there's people that make terrible choices that come with horrific consequences. And What I found over 40 years, John, is uh, giving them a verse. Boy, 
people are going to maybe scream blasphemy. But a lot of times that's just not good enough. We need power. And the only person that can give us power is God. And after 40 years, this is now my favorite passage because Paul is so honest. He says, it's a tough world out there. We get knocked down. We get perplexed. We get frustrated. And yet we don't get knocked out. We don't get into despair. We continue. And he says we do that by continuing to believe our beliefs. In other words, we used to believe. We keep on believing. Those circumstances have turned horrific. Our belief systems haven't. And that would mean that, you know, we know who we are, we know whose we are, and we know who has us and who is for us. And so with that as a foundation, Paul levels this, oh my goodness, truth that will not preach in a lot of churches, that Christians face death every day. And he's not talking about physical death, John, you and I know that. He's not. He's talking about circumstances of life that put a knife in our heart, that take our guts and and wring them out like a wet washcloth and uh, punch in the gut. And we sit here and these things happen to us and we go, what? Why? Where were you, God? And then he says this just again, it won't preach in a lot of churches Death has come with a purpose so that the life might be made manifest. So I say it this way, John. Death circumstances come at us every day outside in, but they are simply an opportunity through faith to unleash the life, Christ's life, from the inside out to conquer was coming at us outside in. And when that happens, you know, I don't know if you looked at it, but the very next verse, it kind of says that other people will praise God because of what they see in us. They're going to see Jesus as enough for us, and they're going to praise him. Wow, that wow. will preach to honest people, John. <laughs> I don't think that preaches to church people but it preaches to honest people. Interesting, Frank, listening to you talk, uh, my mind is racing and all these thoughts and comments are swirling around in here. The first one, I'm gonna pick a little bone, my friends. Not with you, but just with the church at large. So many churches out there focusing on the word, the word of God. Well, Mm -hmm. they think it's the written word and Mm -hmm. it is, but it isn't only. The word is a person, Mm. and it's the person of Jesus who has the ability to speak into our lives, speak into our circumstances through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, and change our mindset. Because, my friend, I don't know how you are. Maybe you're holier than I am. But when nightmares cross my path, the very first thing that comes into my mind is not, oh, yay, Jesus is going to be manifested in me. That is not reaction number one for me. It generally looks like, well, what did I do wrong? Yeah. Or 
this can't be God's love. This must be the enemy. So you pray against the enemy uh, or you reach a point where, well, God, God just, he just must be disgusted with me. He's forgotten about me. He's cast me aside. Even though scripture says plainly that he's engraved us on the palms of his hands. Mm-hmm. He'll never forget us, even though a nursing mother will forget her child. And I just had two grandchildren born in the past <laughs> month. So I know the powerful attraction of a nursing baby. But it's, it's not the words on the page. It's the word in flesh indwelling us that really gives us the perspective to see. And I've seen people who have faced nightmares and they've turned to verses of scripture and kind of come up partially empty. Mm. And I think it's because of this. Am I missing things or am I on target? Oh, I think you're right on, John. In fact, there's a very powerful verse in John 539. It's uh, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them are eternal life. But I tell you, they speak of me. I am eternal life. And I think one of the greatest things I ever heard about the purpose of the word of God was by my friend Malcolm Smith. He said, the word of God is the menu that points to the meal. And the meal, of course, John 6, is the bread of life, the Lord Jesus himself. So we don't want to become enamored with the menu. We don't go to a restaurant and read the menu and then leave and say, wasn't that a great menu? We stay, we let the menu lead us to the, and the other thing we don't, we don't eat the menu. I mean, if we ate the menu, we're not going to be satisfied. In fact, we're not going to like it. We've got to let the word of God lead us to the living word. And, you know, in John 1, that's what Jesus is called. The Holy Spirit called him the word. So he's the one that brings us, speaks to us of where to find life. And that's why he said, I am abundant life. He's the only one, John, only only his abundant life can overcome those gut-wrenching death circumstances that come to us. It's a great word. Yes, it is. And uh, when Paul says, we are constantly all the time delivered over to death, what you need when you're facing death is you need life. Mm. And life is found in no other place except in the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, John, in 1 John 5, it's an interesting thought. It says, he who has the Son has life. Has life. That's an incomplete translation. There's actually a definite article in that Greek text. So it's he who has the Son has the life. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So, Frank, you realize (laughs) what you just said, that when we are in the midst of the pit of despair, you know, I know we're both fans of the Princess Bride, so I'll use that phrase, Mm. the pit (laughs) of despair. Uh, We're both in the midst of the pit. But if we have the sun, we have life, which means inside of us at that very moment, we have the answer to Mm. our pit of despair. We simply need to acknowledge it and turn to it and receive his life in the midst of that despair. 
maybe I can run with that. Sure. He can, he can overpower any R-O-U-S. <laughs> <laughs> Rodents of unusual size. Thank you. I think we'll let the uh, references stop right there. <laughs> but I appreciate it. And, and folks, if you haven't seen the film Princess Bride, it's a treasure. Make sure you watch it. <laughs> yes, it is. Now, uh, as we continue on here in 2 Corinthians 4, it's easy for us when we face our nightmare, Frank, to believe the lie that no one has ever faced what we're facing. No one's felt the way mm. we felt. This is unique in the history of mankind. I'm not sure Jesus is big enough for this pain. And then when I think of that, I think of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11. And if you want to make comparisons, let's start here. He says imprisonments, beatings, scourgings, near death, stone, shipwreck three times, adrift at sea, countless dangers, toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, and he even escaped with his life by letting being let down a wall in a basket. Mm. You know, and if I had that on my resume, I would say, man, that's it. I'm done. I just can't handle this. But Paul says this, these things show my weakness, which is true. They did. Mm. But they also show his confidence in the one who raised Jesus, because mm. that one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us. So yes, he was weak. Yes, he felt the puniest person on the planet, but he knew inside that God was bigger than what he faced and that he would raise him up. Wow. Mm. What an encouragement. You know, that is, John. And, you know, we can stay right in the context of 2 Corinthians 4. And Paul makes that statement. I think it's around verse 13, that when the death comes at us every day so that the life can be made manifest, I think it's in the next verse or two, he says that he raised Jesus, he who raised him from the dead, will he not also raise us? Right. And so when you, when you put that in context, the suffering of Christ was the greatest suffering uh, in all the universe, in all eternity. You can't get more suffering than bearing the wrath against sin. That's huge. Well, if he raised Jesus up in that greatest of all sufferings, our lesser suffering, he'll certainly raise us up. So that's a, a huge point that Paul is making there. And, you know, in the book, I actually make this statement, John, we got to go to Genesis. He created very good out of nothing. Now that's amazing. But then after sin came in, he created very good out of evil. Now that's taking it up a notch. Right. <laughs> and so if he can do that, what he's trying to say, I believe with all my heart, I'm that big and I'm that good. Can you trust me? Right. <laughs> that is a, that's a challenge to all of us because we tend to look at our circumstances and our weakness, you know, and as we said, we, we tend at times to, uh, to think it's the most intense anyone's ever faced. Mm. 
And then other times, another lie that will be thrown at us is that, well, this is really nothing compared to what Jesus faced. So I should just shut up and not deal with how I feel, you know, and that's not the right approach either, because our sufferings are exactly that. They are our sufferings. They are allowed to us through the hedge of our father, and he's gifted them to us to make perfect his ministry in us, to show our weakness, to manifest his strength in us, and to give us his life. So it's perfectly suited to us at that point in time so that we would be the conduit of Jesus that we need to be. So friends, if you have a temptation to discount or ignore your struggles, please don't, because they are perfectly mated for you at this time so that you will step forward in boldness, trust your father, and then witness to his power in your life. It's a mm. tailor-made opportunity. Don't mm -hmm. overlook it. No. You know, John, I'll readily admit one of my biggest struggles is my God is too small in my eyes. I don't see him as big enough. And then I look at my trials and I see them as too big. And so I end up with an omnipotent pain with an impotent God that I can't trust. And we have to do that the other way. What people don't realize is that faith is actually a sight issue. It always has an object. And because you're putting your faith in something or on someone. And what we have to do is take our eyes off of the seemingly omnipotent problem and put our eyes on the truly omnipotent God. And that's hard to do sometimes because our emotions are screaming. Maybe we've got a track record where nobody came to our aid before or like you say, we're looking at ourselves and believing a lie that we're just not worthy of defending. And we have to set our eyes on the fact of who God says he is. He is good and does only good. He loves because he is love and he's all powerful, which means like Romans 8 says, he is for us and therefore nothing can ever truly be against us because he's going to overcome it. But uh, that's a hard thing to do. I think that's why Paul called faith in 1 Timothy 6 an agonizing thing to do. Yes, indeed. Listening to you talk, I'm thinking of uh, the phrase of Paul, these things show my weakness, he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14. So often, mm. uh, especially in this country, we have uh, a tendency to suck it up, get tough, uh, and solve this problem. After all, that's how our country was settled in the mm. first place. We've mm. conquered every adversity. We are the rulers. Mm. And so that mindset, uh, stronghold, if I might use that phrase, has settled into the heads of almost every one of us. Mm. So when, when Paul writes to set your mind on things above, it's because our mind is normally set elsewhere. It's set mm. on the world and it's set on ourselves and what we can accomplish and how we can achieve. 
in this world. Mm -hmm. And it takes a rigorous act of our will sometimes to look at our circumstances, see that we are weak and unable, and choose not to muster our resources and rally all of our abilities to try to fix this problem because we can't stand to look at ourselves being weak. Paul says, hey, I acknowledge that I am weak. These things show me my weakness continually. And so Mm. the only recourse for me is not to fix and bolster, but it's to set my mind elsewhere above Mm. and trust the one who can make his strength manifest in me and through Mm. me to deal with my mess. You're, boy, you're right on, John. You know, the American way. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do this. Uh, you know, the great praise hymn of the independent, I did it my way. And of course, there's that verse in First Corruption. Uh, God, helps, <laughs> God helps those who help themselves. And so in America, Jack Taylor <laughs> did a great thing. He said, if you really understand what 2 Corinthians 12 says, God is on an agenda of revealing to us our weakness. So when somebody comes up and says, hey, how you doing? You haul off and tell them I'm weak. Thank you. Very weak. But boy, that goes against the grain of the American way. Oh, it's it certainly does. You know, you mentioned, my friend, also our Savior, Jesus, and the suffering that he bore both in Gethsemane and the following day on the cross. And then who knows what happened after that before he was resurrected. But when I think of how Jesus got through that, a couple thoughts come to mind. First, uh, of course, as you mentioned, he was gut honest with his father. Mm. He said, you know, Abba, Father, this is from Mark. This is the only gospel passage where he says this, Abba, Father, everything's possible for you. Would you please, sir, take this cup away from me? And then he says, nevertheless, Mm. uh, not what I want, but you want. Now, it's interesting. I want to make a few comments on this word, Abba. We've all heard these, uh, uh, these analogies. You've used them. I've used them that the word Abba resembles the sound of of a young child, a baby calling to his father. It's like Mm. daddy, dada. Mm. It's a term of intimacy. It's a word of of intimacy, of heart, of bonding between an older and a younger, the stronger and the weaker. And that Abba, that daddy describes the one who loves us, is proud of us just because of who we are. Uh, Mm. Who picks you up when you fall? Your daddy picks you up when you fall, dusts off your knees, wipes the tears from your eyes and treats you like you never even fell. So that's a great picture of the dependency and intimate relationship between our Savior and his father. But the word Abba, I think, my friend, goes deeper than that. And I'm going into this because I think it's important for our listeners to recognize the kind of relationship that our father wants to cultivate in us mm-hmm. through the suffering. When Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, he said, Abba, if there's another way, but mm-hmm. I respect you, sir. I trust you fully. And so because I know you and I trust you, 
even though I don't like it at all and I don't fully understand, I choose as an act of my will to be obedient. Hmm. And so from my perspective, as I look at the sufferings that all of us face, what Father wants to cultivate in us is an, an attitude of, yes, sir, I don't like this, but I respect you. You have a great track record in my life. I trust you fully. So I submit, I choose to be Mm. obedient and I let you be in charge of this circumstance. And when we reach that point, my friend, and I wish I were there more often than I am, but when we reach Mm. that point, there's just a peace that passes understanding that can come into Mm. our hearts and minds, even though no circumstance has changed. Mm-hmm. Our Father has met us in our pain, and He is sufficient for it. Wow. You know, John, I was listening to you, and I had this thought. Not just that Abba is, sir, I respect you, you're bigger. But the idea of somebody saying Abba is child. And as a child... I don't understand the big world around me. I've got a very small sphere in which I have understanding. And what hit me was I was listening to you was that the fact that you remember the words of Jesus, he said, unless you become as a child, you will not see the kingdom. Well, it's fascinating. You know, I used to think he was talking to unbelievers, but when you look at that context, it's the disciples. So they were already in the kingdom by faith. So he's actually saying an amazing thing. You can be in the kingdom, but you won't experience it if you're adult with me. You've got to grow down. You've got to let me be Abba to you. You've got to stop being adult with me. And as I ponder that, I think of Abraham. You know, he waited so long for that promised son. And let's be honest, he didn't do such a good job of faith. (laughs) He handed God Eliezer, the servant. He's like, how about him? You know, and then Hagar comes along and Sarah says, how about that handmaid Hagar? Go have sex with her. We'll get a child that way. And and he said, okay, you're twisting my arm. I'll do it. And out came Ishmael. The man didn't walk by faith very well, but some 25, 30 years later, God says, take that boy up on the altar and put a dagger in him. And when I look at that text, John, I'm shocked. There's no arguing. Abraham could have quoted scripture at God. He could have said, wait a minute, you told Noah, no more killing, no more death, no more murder. Uh, He could have thrown scripture and said, wait, this is the promised kid. How are you going to bless the world if you don't have the promised kid? But there's nothing like that. What I, my thesis is this, John. It took 120 years for Abraham to finally become a child and trust his God. Uh, The world grows us up into adulthood, but the Holy Spirit has to grow us down to childlike faith with our God. And when we finally get there, God can finally be God in our lives. And because we are not letting him be God up until then. And when we finally let him be who he is, I think some amazing things are on the horizon. Yeah, I think you're right, my friend. 
as I'm listening to you talk, my mind flips back to, to Abraham and Sarah and how they struggled back and forth and uh, the circumstances. But it, it began, my friend, it began with a simple trust that Abraham believed God and it was counted mm. for him for righteousness, just like a child. Now, he had a lot of questions mm. and a lot of years went by and a lot of water over that dam before he could reach the point of receiving the promised son and then moving to sacrifice him. Mm. But, uh, you're right. The stepping across that, uh, that threshold of faith was really a journey for Abraham. Mm. It was really it, a journey. And yes, it's, it's the same thing with us. You know, when you, when God mm. parts the hedge and he allows those circumstances into your life, He's really inviting us. And I don't want to minimize our pain. I don't want to minimize our struggle and the grief and the agony. But he's really inviting us on a journey with him. Mm. Just like it was a journey of faith for Abraham, he's inviting us to join him on a journey. And unless we stop second guessing, stop fighting, stop cursing, stop condemning, stop trying to fix, then we're going to be not able to engage that journey the way father wants us to. And who knows, we might wind up missing a lesson or having to go through it again because we're not paying attention. I'm sorry, mm. but I've had to go through some things multiple times. So mm. I know of which I speak. Mm. Well, you know, it's interesting. They quoted that Genesis uh, passage early in Abraham's life, he believed and it was reckoned righteous. So God doesn't make it difficult to enter in to life and the faith journey, but the faith journey itself is difficult because it involves taking our eyes off ourselves and our circumstances and trusting the God we cannot see. So it's easy to enter into faith quite another thing to live by faith. And that, like you said, is a journey. It's a process. And uh, dear listeners, if you're looking for a single purpose to our pain, your pain today, that's it right there. God is inviting you and me and Frank and all of us on a journey with him. Yes, that journey can take us sometimes through what appears like the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes that journey can have us walking. And then sometimes it feels like we're just crawling on our knees, but we're never alone. And our father will never leave us abandoned and he will always lift us up. And if we will open our eyes, we will find him in our pain mm. and recognize him in a way we have never recognized him before. Mm. Yes, wow. sir. Yes, sir. Okay. My friend, we are uh, getting ready to wrap up right now. It's been an interesting conversation. Thanks for your insight. Any last thoughts before we cut this off for today? Just as I was listening to you, my mind turned to an account in the book of Lamentations where Jeremiah was sitting in the ashes of Jerusalem horrible circumstances, crying out in misery. But then he says, this one thing I recalled to my mind, that great is the faithfulness of God. He goes on then to say, I now have hope and I now have joy. 
And the amazing thing, John, is his circumstances did not change. He was still sitting in the ashes. What changed was Jeremiah's perspective on life. And he knew this wasn't the end of the story because God was going to write a different ending. And that's that can be true for all of us as that we find God and restore our hope and our joy and hope uh, is biblically is confidence. He's going to fulfill his promise. Right. I hear what you're saying. And my mind goes back to the words of Jesus uh, to the churches in Revelation. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear mm. what he's saying. And so, Father, may we have ears to hear, eyes to see, sir, and faith to step out, even when we're petrified. Mm. Make it so, please. Amen. Well, Amen. friends, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. We've been chatting about Pastor Frank's newest book, Finding God in the Gray, The Lonely Path of Pain. Check it out. On Amazon, it should be out soon. It might even be out by the time you hear this. Visit our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Take a few moments, look around, check out the growing list of resources available, pop us an email, and also notice the newest part of our website. We call it our Members Portal, and it's a place for you to get access to what we hope to be a comprehensive catalog of the teaching and counseling ministry of Pastor Frank Friedman over 30 plus years. So you'll see in time some new stuff, some old stuff. Uh, so please check it out. Uh, of course, uh, follow us on all of our social media platforms. Take a look at us on Facebook and Instagram. And as always, we give you this reminder from Hebrews chapter six that we have this hope, a living hope, a resolute hope as an anchor for our souls. So today and always, Choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.